Well, good morning. It's good to be back uh, together with you this week as we get ready to begin a series uh, on our vision as a church. Uh, we're going to be in different places throughout Scripture today as we get ready to, to look at this because, quite honestly, the vision needs to be not just understood or not just uh, heard, but understood. Um, I, I don't know about you and what church meant to you growing up or what it tends to mean to you now the older you are. I, I remember when I was growing up, I had one Sunday outfit. Anyone else have one Sunday outfit when you were a kid? I, I, I wore one Sunday outfit almost all the way through elementary school. Um, looking back, it looked a little bit like a referee. I had black pants and a black and white striped shirt with big stripes, but they were sideways, not up and down. And uh, you would put me, I would, I would dress in that on a Sunday morning, I would put it on, we would go to church, but you would take it off before lunch, amen? Because I'm not, I don't know if that's like to save it or because we didn't wash it every week. Quite honestly, I didn't know or care. I just knew if you ate lunch in your Sunday clothes, you were toast in my house. And so that was, that was what I remember as a kid just growing up in church. I always loved being in church my story um, has its valleys and its mountains for sure but but one thing my parents did and especially my mom was to make sure that I kept myself in front of those who proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ and so we we grew up in that environment but if you would have asked me what my church was about I, I don't know that I would have had the same answer all the way through uh, as, as a child, I would have said church is about Jesus, and you would have said very good and given me an M&M. &M. Um, as, as a teenager, I would have told you church is where the people I love hang out. It was where our friends were. Before I had a driver's license, I would ride my bicycle to the church in the rain. And I would love to tell you it's because I wanted to be in, in powerful worship or to hear the sermon. I don't remember a lot of sermons from when I was a, a teenager or younger, but I remember what it was like to be around my friends who, who we loved one another and we all claimed the name of Jesus Christ. So I, I remember that. Um, in college... I remember struggling for the only time in my life that I remember looking for churches or, or, or attending different churches to see what was right. Let me tell you, that's the weirdest thing in all of history is, is attending different churches to figure out which one uh, fits. And so I, I, I pray for you and for those who are doing that because quite honestly, it was just a strange thing to try to assess, Lord, where do you want me? Is that something I'm seeking or is that something I'm, I'm, I'm discovering? You know, I, I didn't know. And so wrestled through that and ended up serving in church. And that felt more comfortable than anything else I'd ever done in my life. And, and even as I went through student ministry and pastoring, I'm not sure that I was ever, and every church had a mission statement. And quite honestly, most of the time, it was probably my fault for not paying attention. But I'm not sure that everyone who came together could say our church is about this our, our church is about this because because quite honestly if we all come in from our different backgrounds and different perspectives we bring in these ideas of church and and they're not all bad 
Some of them are amazingly biblical. But there's something about unity, and Christ prays for that pretty consistently through Scripture. It's something that Paul talks about pretty consistently in Scripture. It's what the Lord leans into in the Old Testament pretty consistently through Scripture. So there's got to be something to a oneness, an alignment within the body. Because the only time when an out-of-alignment society appears, there's consequence. In the book of Judges, it says they did what was right in their own eyes. Everybody was trying to do their best. And, and they tasted the consequences for it over and over again. And so we really, um, looking at today, the purpose is to make sure that we're all in alignment around the same thing. I want to show you a little timeline. It'll come up on the screen. It'll be on your TV uh, if you're at home. Uh, this is a little timeline uh, that I started to, to write out because if you're like me, uh, my wife always says, take a picture of a room before you paint it. Did you ever think about that? Like I need to remember what it looked like so I can remember how far we've come. I never take a picture. I always forget. And so as we're working as a church, as we're serving as a church, I just want you to look at the picture of where we've been, of what's been going on in the undercurrent at First Baptist so that we can understand who we are and where we are today and what's coming forward. You see, in, in 2017, I came in 2015, and quite honestly, um, I kind of like my, my first years of life, I don't remember a whole lot about those first years except just getting to know people and asking the Lord to help me not to blow this place up. Uh, but I do remember 2017 because in, in 2017, we started uh, wrestling with something. And, and the question is, what is a disciple? What, what, what does a disciple look like? We have a lot of people say, I, I've never been discipled in my life. I don't even think that means the same thing to 12 people in a room, much less 400. And so we started wrestling with the question of what does a disciple look like? And you can go to the next slide. We'll come back to this one. And so we started putting out this picture. We started defining it as a disciple is someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ, who is sharing life with others, who is sharing knowledge and, and sharing habits that are from Scripture, someone who's growing and maturing and connecting with what that knowledge is and using it in relationships with other believers, using it in their relationship with God, and using it in their purpose in life. And, and a maturing disciple of Christ then is serving someone who, is, who has been shared with, someone who is still connected, and now is being equipped to serve God, to use who God made them to be in the world around them. And a mature disciple is one who is sent who continues doing all those things and helps others to do the, th the same. Now, pause on the screen for just a sec half a second more. I'm telling you, I know that in our life, you may have been a connected disciple. You may have been a serving disciple. But there are times when we regress a little bit. And so a definition of discipleship helps us know, you know what, Lord, I just keep filling my head with knowledge but I have no way to use it in my relationship with you or my relationships with other people. God, help me, spur me on to growth. Now, that, that really started to change the way we shape things. Go back to the timeline for us. If you're at home, you just hear a voice right now. It's all right. 2018 became a year of alignment. 
when we really started to say, how does knowing what a disciple is impact us, where we are in our facility, and what we're going to do as leaders at First Baptist? And so we used 2018 to start saying, what does that look like? We started to re remodel some of our spaces to reflect places that might uh, in envelop this idea of learning and community and serving. We started to assess our ministries and, and align some of our ideas up that way in 2018. In 2019, we asked this question, what's blocking the view? What's blocking the view of the people in our community from seeing Jesus Christ around us? And in the, in the fall of 2019, after answering and asking a lot of questions, we said one of the things is there's too many trees, there's too many things blocking Jesus. So we put together a vision team. And the goal of the vision team was to look at who we are and who God's calling us to be so that we can have a clear view of what God has called us to be so that our community could see Jesus without anything in the way. In 2020, COVID hit. We want to call it the lost year. But quite honestly, 2020 was a year where the refiner's fire came down on First Baptist Church and everything and everyone across our country. Because who you really were started to rise to the surface because that heat kind of burns down all the false stuff, all the little things. Next year will be a year of alignment. We can go back to the video. Next year will be a year of alignment. Uh, in 2020, because, 2022, because 2021, our vision team, because of COVID and because of what's going on, we started to come with a feroc ferociousness about what is God calling us to be? What's our vision supposed to be? And I know this is a lot of data, but I want you to hear this. Look in the world. The vision of the world is becoming clear. Anger, self-righteousness, and hate is what is left in the hands of a world who has worshipped itself. And listen, turn on the TV. There's plenty of churches holding the same material because the bitterness is too deep. The hurt is too, too grand. Church, this morning, what I want you to know is that's not what we're holding at First Baptist. That's not who we are and it's not who we're called to be. God has called us to something more. As our team met, we had one day where we finally said, that's it. And we wrote out a statement that, that encompassed a couple of things, what we are called to do and how we are called to do it. And so in your chair, you have these cards. At home, you can listen along with us. This is where we landed. And I believe it wholeheartedly reflects who we are and who we're called to be. You see, at First Baptist, our vision is a, to be a place where real life is happening. And, and that reality happens where the Spirit is present. And we believe the Spirit is present and calling us to be a community of faith that glorifies God through embracing His Word, impacting our circles with the gospel of Jesus Christ and empowering believers to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We believe that that may have been 20 years ago a, a, an obvious statement for churches. 
But we want it to be so obvious about First Baptist Church that nothing happens, that nothing is associated with us that doesn't reflect this reality, this vision, that we are not individual believers called to do something. But we're a community. And we're going to glorify God and carry out his will of making disciples through a plan and a process. So over the next three weeks, this is what we're going to unpack. And so I would encourage you each week to be with us. And if you can't be with us, to be online with us. And if this is your church, we want you to be of one heart as a body together. Because I believe wholeheartedly as we start to align ourselves around the vision that God has given us, that it's going to blow things up for the kingdom. I'm not going to tell you what it looks like because I don't know. I can simply tell you that I believe with the excitement and the joy of our team that the Spirit has led us to this point. And so, so here's where it begins, right? That wasn't even the sermon. Omar cut a song out on purpose. He knew. Listen, it all begins with understanding where real life can happen. I want to tell you a biblical truth. This is what the Bible says. It says in our life, real life, can only happen to a disciple of Jesus Christ. There, there is no real life that happens outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now listen to what Psalm chapter 49 says. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to there. We're going to be in Psalm for just a moment, but then we're going to move over to Matthew for the rest of the time. But this is key because if we miss this, if we don't understand this, we, we may find ourselves believing that we can search something else. This is, this is priceless. If you leave with nothing else today, I want you to understand real life can't happen outside of Jesus Christ. And we're looking at the Old Testament chapter 49 verse 5 the bible says this why should i fear in times of trouble when the inequity of those who cheat me surrounds me man welcome to the world today lord what do i do when cheaters are winning and surrounding me when the world is attacking those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches now check this out Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live forever and never see the pit. Let me tell you what that says about men, about women. What that says is, there is nothing that you can introduce to your life to experience real life on your own. I mean, process that for just a moment. There is, there is zero things. Your life is so valuable. It's so costly. It means so much to the Lord, and He holds the debt because sin has created a, a debt, a deficiency in your relationship with the king of kings and the lord of lords and so there's nothing that you can introduce into the life of man on your own that can make you experience real life you you, you cannot introduce money what does the bible say your life costs too much 
Riches of this world cannot give you real life. It cannot save you from the pit. You can't introduce it. You can't introduce relationships. Since God made us relational, since the beginning of time, men and women have tried to find their identity in relationships. And that relationship idea of of a man and a woman and even the perversion of it outside of marriage or between two men and two women, it's all the same direction. It's introducing relationship to help me experience a real life. And what we have taught ourselves is this, is I know what death tastes like. So if it doesn't taste like whole death and it tastes a little something that's better than nothing, that must be life. That's not life. In the same way, riches don't get life. Relationships, they can't give you life. Every addiction that has ever began in any person was the pursuit of experiencing real life. I want to feel alive, so I drink. I want to feel alive, so I'm promiscuous. I want to feel alive, so I'm angry. I want to feel alive, so I'm, I'm self-critical. I want to feel alive, so, so I, I indulge in drugs or, or habits. This pursuit of life is significant, and it is real. And what Scripture is really clear about, crystal clear about, is that no man can ransom another or give God the price of his life because life is too costly. In other words, you cannot engage in real life by introducing any man-made thing, idea, or anything in creation into your life. Church, this should shape us See, when you tell someone about Jesus Christ, if you begin with telling them the habits they need to fix in their own life, you've just introduced moralistic religion to them. And guess what's going to happen? That cannot produce real life. You see, something has to be shared. If you, if you know someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, from the stranger in the grocery store to the child who eats at your table, you have to introduce to them a change agent. And the Bible says that there is no change agent that you can introduce to let them experience real life that is man-made. When Jesus and his disciples were talking about this one day, A rich young man came before Jesus and he walked away sad because he couldn't do it. He couldn't introduce enough. The disciples say something crazy. As they walk away, we know this verse, but let's hear the the weight of it. He said, then who can? Then who can get into eternal life? Who can experience that? It's impossible. And Jesus, in verse 26 of Matthew 19, says, With man it is impossible. But with God, what does he say? All things are possible. So so what we just heard from the mouth of Jesus Christ is that there is nothing man-made that can be introduced to my life that can give me real life. 
But what Jesus speaks to his disciples and what he shares with us in Matthew chapter 19 is that there is something that can be introduced, but it must be God-given, not man-given. It, it is not about who I identify as, it's who, who he identifies me with. Am I his? Do I belong to him? It's not a moment, it's a lifetime thing. Look in your Bible with me at Matthew chapter four, verse 19. This is kind of the, the verse we'll unpack as we pour into others. Because a disciple, we looked at what a disciple's life looked like in maturity, sharing, connecting, serving, and sending. But we've got to look beyond that now. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus calling his disciples. They weren't disciples until he spoke these words. Do you catch this? He calls unto Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew. And he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. A disciple is one who has been called and who has responded in faith to the call and invitation of Jesus Christ. See, up until that point, you're just a person. Up until that point, you're just here. But, but a disciple is someone who has, Jesus has said, follow me too. And, and you have followed him. You see, growing up in church, I've watched invitations and altar calls my whole life. I've seen many hundreds of men and women, boys and girls, friends of mine, myself included. I've made the walk to the altar to give my life to Christ six or seven times as a child. Somewhere along the way, I found out something was not right. Because people would walk to the front and they would go back to their seat and the change was momentary. But it didn't seem like it was life-changing. Let me, let me clarify something. If you grew up in church, walking to the front and kneeling and confessing Jesus as Lord is not simply saying, I believe you're the son of God, save me. If, you're, if you grew up in a Baptist church, you're getting antsy right now, amen? Because what the Bible says is, confessing him as Lord means that you follow him. That he is the Abba, the master, the father, the God of your life. That he consumes you. And so a disciple is one who has been called and follows the Lord. Church, this morning, I think that's where we have to begin. Is understanding that if you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and you are not following him, then you will not experience real life. Like the prodigal son, you will have been wayward. Like the rich young ruler who thought he had it all together, you might walk away sad. Church, this morning, a disciple who experiences real life has to follow Jesus Christ. He can't just acknowledge him, that I know him, I love that guy. He's a wonderful person. He's got some great teachings. Go get him. That's a cheerleader. A disciple follows. But, but just following Jesus isn't enough. Now, I want you to process this. Again, if you've been in church a long time, you may be getting antsy right now. Because the Pharisees followed Jesus better than anybody else. They stalked him, didn't they? 
all over the place. They wanted to know what was going on. Who is this guy? If we look back two weeks ago, the Pharisees understood and memorized the words of Jesus. That's why they put guards at the tomb because they knew what he said because they had followed him. You can't experience real life without following him, but if you simply follow him, that may not be enough. So what is it? Look in your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. This is a, a passage that is familiar to, to all of us. A young man comes and asks Jesus a question. And the question he asks is, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Now think back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. There's going to be a change, a transformation happening in you. And, and later on in Matthew chapter 22, talking to this young man who's there in front of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, this lawyer who comes up, what's the greatest? He says, you want to know what transformation look like, looks like? It looks like this. It looks like the whole of you. Verse 37, read this slowly. You shall love the Lord your God with all. The word all, I had to look this up, is in holos, which means the whole of. The whole of you. You see, if you and I are going to live real life, then we have to know that the great commission, a great commandment, is a part of that. And it has to overlap our life. You, you can't experience real life without being changed by the giver of life. And what Jesus says here is, you shall love the Lord your God with in holos, with your whole, with the whole of your heart. And this word heart means the core of who you are. It means, it means every ounce of your inner being. It's the center of who you are. In other words, the change starts from the inside out, not the outside in. If you think today, or if you thought walking into the room today, that life was going difficult, that life is hard, so I will go to church and I will do something that pleases God, and then he will respond to that, then you've missed it. Because what the scripture says is this, is that the great commandment, the transformation that happens so that life can be experienced starts when the whole of your core is changing the whole of your core it's not just I feel bad about something or I want to taste something different real life happens when the core of God's followers the whole of it is being changed to love the Lord to reflect the Lord in following the Lord. You cannot have real life. I cannot experience real life if my core belongs to me and my feet follow Jesus. In holos, the whole of my core. Love the Lord your God with your heart 
The Bible says with your mind. It, this uses a Greek word and it's important. It's the word that we think of as psyche. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is linked to breath. You see, what, what the idea of this picture is, is that you and I would love the Lord our God with everything about our spirit, the essence of the breath of God that makes us different than every animal, plant, beast, or bird. You see, because in Genesis, the Bible says that God breathed into us. And, and by his breath, we are different. It's, it's what we would think of as our spirit, our soul. Does your soul, does it look different for Jesus? Does the whole of your essence long for him in valleys and mountains? If it doesn't, if your spirit isn't given to God, you can't experience life heart, soul, and mind. It means intellect. In other words, what you think about, your ambitions in life, the things you daydream on, are they wholly wrapped up in loving Jesus Christ? And I'm not saying, did you go from, from being a newborn Christian to being Jesus in the flesh, part two. That's not it. What scripture talks about is a changing I will make you fishers of men. There's growth and maturity in your heart, in your spirit, and in your mind is the Lord changing you day after day. If he's not, you know what it feels like? Death, staleness, stagnancy. And so we have to understand, church, that living a life that is real is following Jesus Christ. It's being changed by Jesus so that we reflect someone who at our core, at our very essence, and with all of our intellect, show him love more than we show our children, our spouse, or our self-love. But there's something else that's introduced. And lawyer introduced it to us last week in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. The Bible says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. You see, there's a third thing that's gotta be introduced into our life. And we look at this great commission of God. And the great commission of God says, are you doing are you doing what I have called you to? Are you living on my mission? Matthew chapter four, verse 19. Follow me, respond to the call, and I will make you, I'm changing you, fishers of men about my work. You see, we, we work towards a lot of things in our life. Financial security, great children, college scholarships listen let me let me pause for a second of a of a person who has a child in college and one on the way dad you've got to stop worshiping dollars and calling it scholarship money if, if you want to see death happen praise jesus and worship a dollar 
because that's not the mission of God. I have a master's in education, and education is not the mission of God. The disciples were different because they were ordinary men who had been with Jesus. So church, this morning, we have to be out loud, vocally, a place where we say we want to be more and more a place where real life happens. And church, the only way that you and I can be a place where real life happens is if we are a place that is committed to defining real life as a people who are following God with all that they are being changed by his spirit and sold out for his mission and not our dreams. That's where real life happens. And anything short of that will be a revivalist faith. It will be the traditions of our past. It may be improvements on the ways we've approached them, but there will not be real life to be found. Church, this morning, before we go into our vision over the next few weeks, this is an altar call moment for everyone in this room, for everyone at home. Because I've grown up in church. I know how we exalt half-hearted following and changing. And I know the disappointment of not experiencing real life and life to the full. It's not hidden. It's not a secret this morning. At First Baptist Church of Pearland, let it be said, warts and all, bad Sundays, kids screaming in the parking lots, lost your keys twice, you're sitting next to a spouse that when you go home, you will sit far away from. That we will be authentic with who we are so that together in authenticity, we can experience real life. That the true word of God, which, which cuts every joint deep into the marrow, might have a place in us. You don't need one pair of Sunday clothes. But you do have to make a decision. And our vision team, with joy and prayers, have said, this must be a place where real life can happen and it only happens through a true exaltation of Jesus Christ and our following in his changing and on his mission if that can be this church and we believe that it is then we will experience life at every moment, in every valley, in every mountain. So where do you stand? In this moment, 
be real. Because some have followed Christ and held to prejudice. That doesn't work in the kingdom. Some have followed Christ and cling to bitterness. That doesn't work in the kingdom. There's no transformation there. Some have called about Christ and covered their wounds. In this moment, will you be real with Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. Lord Jesus, we we pray this morning that you would get us stirred up with conviction Lord that you would step on our toes that you would hold us accountable God that 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 tough love this this idea Lord of what we have held on to if it reflects anything different that life can be found anywhere else or experienced anywhere outside of following you being transformed by you and living on mission with you God right now would you allow us to lay it before you Lord God, I know there are men and women that are watching right now, that are in this room right now, that have gone to church their whole life, that have claimed the name of Christ their whole life, but have never been in holos, given all of their heart, their core, their spirit, and their mind to you. And in this moment right now, God, I pray that you would bring salvation to them, that you would call out to them, follow me legitimately. Don't be embarrassed about what you've seen or heard. Father God, I pray that you would speak to them. Lord, if there are men and women who in this place or are watching this moment have thought that doing a good deed could help correct some things that have gone poorly, God, I pray right now that you would show them that the deed is worthless. That the thing that must be introduced to their life is an authentic, real relationship with you. And that only comes through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, following him fully and letting him transform them, God, as they live on his mission. Lord Jesus, there are men and women in this room that are saints who have walked tirelessly, joyfully through every season that they've been in. Lord, would you esteem them in this moment? Would you let them rise up, God, and be encouraged to know that today is the day, God, where your voice and your word reminds them not only are they not alone, but would you encourage them to know that they have been following the drumbeat of the Almighty. Lord Jesus, let us experience real life because of you. In your name.